Hey, everybody. It's Mike Carlson from Podcast the Ride. I'm joined by my co-hosts, Scott Gairdner. Hello. And Jason Sheridan. Hey. And we've got a little announcement. We sure do. Yep. We're launching our new podcast on an app called Spoke to give Spoke. you three exclusive episodes. Can you believe it? Three. I can't. Yeah. Don't don't believe it, but it's true. Spoke is a new audio platform made by SiriusXM that creates podcast playlists to help you find new shows to listen to. Well, how does that work, though? Well, I'm going to explain. The Spoke team handpicks the best moments from tons of podcasts and creates playlists of clips so you can try a bunch of shows out and find something new to love. So they're all grouped by topics or themes is what you're saying. That is exactly what I'm saying. Thank you for figuring that out. Thank mm-hmm. you. I mean, you could try like a playlist that's uh, like about music being decoded when it's playlists with clips about unpacking and analyzing and figuring out how people make songs and what. why are they so cool, you know? They also have one uh, called Spoke's Perpetually Single Playlist, dedicated to podcasts about relationships, or lack thereof, in my case. Sure, Jason, don't put yourself down. I want to, I want to, all right. (laughs) (laughs) There's all sorts of things is what we're trying to say, and Spoke has, like, fun exclusive content from Feral, like our podcast. Uh, So you definitely don't want to miss these special episodes. Download Spoke now, free in the App Store or on Google Play. And be sure to check out all of Podcast the Ride's exclusive Spoke episodes at hearspoke.com slash podcast the ride. That's the address. Uh, Check it out. Spoke. It's time to spoke. Yeah, we're spoken. Guys, I want to tell you about a great sponsor I have, Bompus. They're premium high-performance athletic socks, and they're so comfortable you're never going to want to take them off. And because socks are the number one requested item in homeless shelters, for every pair of socks purchased, Bompus donates one pair of those to those in need. Almost one million pairs donated to date. 15% off the first purchase of four or more socks, plus free shipping. So go to getbompus.com slash feral and buy some comfortable socks. Hello and welcome to Conversations with Matt Dwyer. I'm Matt Dwyer. I, I like the way I said that. Hey, it sounded like I was calling a race. Anyway, uh, welcome to the podcast. Uh, if you haven't listened before, it's just what the show says. It's a conversation with me, Matt Dwyer, and I. Uh, I've as of late, I've been talking to people, uh, activists, ar- artists, journalists, authors, uh, a sexologist, recently about how our president. And this election and these laws and these new executive orders and all that stuff is affecting our lives and affecting our communities. And it's been really, very enlightening and exciting. And I I was, you know, I was very upset by this election. And as I I think a lot of us were, and I needed perspective on how to approach this and handle it. So these people have uh, given me wisdom and I've had some great ones. So please listen. Sorry I sniffled. I, I have allergies. It's been raining. So forgive the sniffle. Uh, my guest today is Linda Torado. She wrote an excellent book a few years ago called uh, Hand to Mouth, Living in Bootstrap America, about her experience of living in poverty and why people who in poverty do certain things that they do that get judged by society because society doesn't fucking understand it. Because, you know, isn't it great we live in a world 
a country where if you're poor, it's your fault. And it's, you know, not all of us could be born into a millionaire family like our president and then have businesses handed to him uh, <laughs> and then say you're a winner when pretty much you just took the biggest handout in, of, of your life. Um, and speaking of him, something happened recently and it bothered me. He lied to a room full of senators about the, uh, a busload of people who came in from Connecticut to vote New Hampshire uh, against him. And he said this into a room full of, of, of senators who sat there silently and did not protest. And frankly, that can't happen anymore. I don't. If someone would have spoken up, they would have been a fucking hero. So I'm just saying that I don't know what everybody's being afraid of. And it's, we need to have action. And if our senators aren't doing anything, you know, we just have to work harder, I guess. But I'm just saying, I'm calling my people first thing in the morning on Monday, my reps, and I'm I'm telling them to stop calling these things falsehoods. Stop being nice about it, because this fucking guy isn't being nice at all. He's lying, and he's ruining people. He said, like, let's ruin this guy's life. He has no fucking moral compass, and he doesn't give a fuck about the country. So, we need to, they need to just say, hey, it's a lie. Stop lying. And it needs to happen on the floor. It needs to happen to his face. It's it's absurd that we haven't called this out more. That our politicians sit quietly. And then when we get our full-fledged fascism, because we're, I think we're about halfway there if you read about fascism and what they do, uh, then they'll be to blame. But then nobody can do anything because you get put in prison for it. <laughs> and uh, I would I don't want to I don't want to go to prison anyway uh, that's my little tidbit today I'm trying not to sniffle uh, but it's been rainy here oh anyway do me a favor go to iTunes review the show say that you like it it helps us out a lot can you do that and tell your friends follow me on Twitter Matt underscore Dwyer at twitter.com and uh, let's listen to this conversation with Linda Linda Torado she's great and uh, I really love talking to her. I, both sides are in this sort of stuck mentality of like, fuck you, fuck you. How are, how are the liberals wrong, in your opinion? Um, it's, it's not that they're wrong. I'm literally telling them, hey, you do know that people who don't think the same way as you are getting different information and maybe that's part of it. Like just potentially somebody out there has asymmetrical information to you and that's why they're making different decisions. Maybe they're not like full on, like willfully knowingly evil and like, they're just not having any of it. Yeah. What, how are they responding? I I mean, well, so far, I'm defending Trump. I'm a racist. I'm defending anti-intellectualism. I'm making a safe space for bigots. Um, you know, if we'd just been nicer to those Germans that backed Hitler, maybe they would have come along. And I'm like, no, literally, guys, I'm telling you that half of the country only gets conservative news. And that's partially why they're conservative, because all their shit is biased. And, you know, that it's, it's literally all I'm saying. It's, that's it. And nah, man, nah, it's insane. Do you have, 
how do we m- mend that? Because I think now people are so they believe that the media is lying to them as a how do we begin to mend that fence yeah i'm so sorry there's only one answer everyone's gonna have to be better (laughs) so like i don't know if there is a solution because the only solution is everybody's gonna have to stop being dicks to each other yeah it's uh you know it sounds corny sometimes but the the the, I, i don't want to use the word love but that compassion and understanding there was a a story a friend of mine told me about a muslim who forgave the guy who shot him and who and and uh he actually won the the racist guy over and the guy and before he went to the death penalty chamber he thanked the guy and told him he loved him and it was like because the muslim was compassionate and i think people are fully are forgetting that because everybody just feels threatened constantly from from the president on down i mean so i'm doing this year-long series for all magazine um where i'm talking to a bunch of women that voted for trump and and essentially the the premise of the piece was let's just see how this goes for those people like we're just going to follow this and see how it goes and and what what their reactions were um, but, you know, as I talk to them and you do these in-depth interviews, you get to know these folks. And this lady is, is Jewish and voted Trump. And she's like, I literally cannot understand why everybody's calling me a Nazi. Like, I'm a Jew. You can't. That's not how any of this works. And I was like, well, did you know that there are actual Nazis? <laughs> and she said, what are you talking about? Um, because the, the rhetoric that she expected she expected to be called a Nazi. And so then when she heard the actual Nazi word, she didn't pay any attention to the news story behind it. She just assumed everybody was calling her a Nazi. And so I'm like explaining to her, lady, you voted for a dude that like actual Nazis are in favor of. And she's like, no, I, I mean, that sort of thing where the, the rhetoric is actually so bad that, that people won't listen at all because we assume bad faith on the other's part and that's actually what i'm doing on twitter this morning is trying to explain to liberals like hey you can challenge somebody's opinion and also assume that you know they might have a valid opinion in there if you're the kind of person that's like well if you voted for trump then if you say the sky is blue i'm going to tell you it's purple you're the idiot that can't tell what color the sky is do you find that these people are receptive when you when you speak to them, or do, are they resistant? Um, you know, mostly, and, and I've spoken to dozens for this project, and I explicitly tell them because, like, look, I was one of the first people out saying the fascism word, and I was, you know, like out there doing that because I don't have a masthead, so I kind of have the I don't have a real job, so <laughs> I can pretty much say whatever I want whenever I want. And I told them, like, listen, before you do this interview, go and look me up. Like, go and look up my articles in which I say he's a megalomaniacal kleptocrat that's going to ruin the country. Um, And then come and do the interview. And, yeah, they were super receptive because when they say, well, I thought this or, or this was my perception or this is what I based my decision on, I didn't tell them they were idiots. I asked them why that was. 
And in the course of having that conversation, instead of going, well, you're a moron because I read a different thing, I'd go, well, I read a different thing. What would you think if this were true? And then we had a hypothetical conversation about what they would think in those instances. And then they'd say, well, is it true? And I'd go, yep, it sure is. And by the end of the conversation, you know, I, I don't think any of them would have flipped their vote. Or rather, I take that back. A few of them would have flipped their vote knowing what they know now. Um, a lot of them are, are actually just so mentally wrapped up in not being evil that it's now hard for them to come out of the mindset that they've already put themselves into. Like, there's a sunk cost fallacy in there of like, well, I've already lost all of my friends and people already think I'm a Nazi, so this guy better turn out and better be right. Do you think they're in for a rude awakening? I mean... I mean, I don't know what's going to happen. <laughs> Are you kidding me? I don't even know if Flynn's going to be in office by the end of the day. Like, I don't know how long. Like, we, we literally don't know. I've got so many people, so many experts from so many sides telling me this is guaranteed. That's guaranteed. But you know what was guaranteed? Trump couldn't win the primary. And then he couldn't win the election, and then he couldn't get his cabinet nominated, and then he couldn't round up brown people wholesale. So, like, who knows what this guy can do? Yeah, I mean, I feel like any—I learned last year that any theory I have is complete fucking bullshit, because it all got squashed uh, November 8th. I was just like, oh, I—nope, I was wrong all along. See, and I thought Trump would win. And, and it's actually the, the first major misstep of my career as a writer or journalist, what have you, in this last three years, was I listened to everybody, and I thought, well, I can't possibly be the only one that, that like, really gets this when everybody that knows the data and everybody that's done this for years is telling me, you know, this and that and the other. I can't possibly be. And it turns out, no, I was right, because my gut feeling was Trump's going to win. Hillary was the youthful candidate at 69 years old, um, one of the most unpopular candidates in history, much as the Democrats hate to admit it. And more to the point, she was a vote for the actual status quo, which is a problem when the status quo involves starving children and deportations and killing American citizens and deregulating the banks. And those are all things that Hillary Clinton stood for, and a lot of people were having none of it. And they like the way the way I thought it would go and, and the way his voters have actually explained it to me, we were at a baseline bad. Now he might be awful, but he might be good. That's that's what the that's what his voters say. Yeah. Like they, they really the there is no risk to the status quo. They knew the status quo would be bad. They had some hope that introducing some kind of shock to the system might actually improve things because it would least at least would force conversation, and it at least would make us reckon. And in that way, they actually weren't wrong because now we're having the conversations and now we're reckoning. Um, I don't think it will resolve in the way they want it to. I think we're actually, like, I'm not one of those silver lining people, and I'm not saying it's a good thing Trump was elected, but I do think this is going to force the country to reckon with the fact that we have been heading so far right with such velocity for so long that we've gotten to literal Nazis. 
honestly, we are going to have to grapple with that. Why do you think no one sees how, I mean, because it is extremely right, and I see fascism at every turn. It's just I see him chipping away. And I, is it, are people just not used to this sort of thing happening in this con- country and they're complacent and they're like, ah, it couldn't happen here when it could? Um, you know, there's a lot of that, although I see more of that on the left than the right. Um, liberals are very complacent. Like a lot of my, my solid center left friends are like, it's cool. Intel's going to do something. There's no way there's not a dossier. They're going to do, you know, whatever. And, and they're kind of just waiting it out until the adults come to rescue us. Conservatives and, and people who voted for Trump, the, the biggest indicator of, of a Trump vote that I've been able to see is where do you get your information? The information asymmetry is, is beyond recognition where it, it, there's Wall Street Journal did a really good infographic of like, what do your friends, what do, what does the opposite social post look like? And they put, you know, news on Obama or taxation or whatever from the left and from the right. And it was two entirely different stories, entirely different narratives. So, you know, like I said, these are people who did not know that there were literal Nazis in D.C., had not heard it. And these are people who, you know, are average. They watch the nightly news, which doesn't tell them these things. Um, they get news from their, their social feeds, which tends to be hysterical and, you know, crazy. So they don't click on stuff that doesn't make sense to them, or they have mostly conservatives in their social feeds. So they're hearing things like, you know, the recovery is imbalanced. Uh, liberals are trying, Obama administration is trying to sell you that we're, you know, not having trouble with unemployment. But have you heard that most of the jobs that we've gained are part-time, low-paid, precarious work? And so their understanding of the economy is very different than a liberal who is being sold things like, have you seen this recovery? Our unemployment rate is dropping. The stock market's going up. Why do you think, because I feel, there was a story yesterday about Obama, or Trump lying in front of a room full of senators and nobody speaks up. Nobody calls him out on it. Why? And then we wonder why the voters don't get it. Yeah. And I'm like, why is like, why is there not more, like we need the Democrats need to be louder than ever. And I feel like a couple are, still are. It's still like Elizabeth Warren. But I feel like people are used to that. So it doesn't get as much of attention as it should. Yeah. Well, I mean, Elizabeth Warren is uh, she she does like her some cameras. Um <laughs> I mean, look, if, if the Democrats could find a spine with a glowing LED past five flashlights and a Boeing 747 to light their way, we wouldn't be in this mess. Like, the, 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 the notion that this is a uniquely Republican problem, when the Democrats have been in power in the last years, the Democrats, like, I, when I was in Ferguson, all right, like, that was going on under Democratic local government, Democratic state government, a Democratic DOJ, and a Democratic president. Do you tell me? You know, I, it's... They don't do, neither political party is here for you. They are there to exist in their own little bubble. We spent over a billion dollars on the last presidential election. 
there are a lot of people with an interest in keeping this controversy ginned up and keeping this fight going and keeping us divided. And it is a financial interest, and it is very explicit, and it is on both sides. It seems, because this is the one thing I, I always think of with Trump, is like, if he starts threatening big money, which I think with his threats of repealing NAFTA and and sanctions, or not sanctions, embargoes on China, and it, it seems like... If that starts cost, costing people like the Cokes uh, and the Walmart family money, those fuckers are going to react, don't you think? Um, yeah, but I think that the most they might do is support impeachment and try to get Pence. Like, they're not going to abandon the Republican Party. Oh, no, not at all. And I don't think Pence is... Pence, I don't know. I can't decide if he scares me more, but he definitely equally scares me. He's definitely less crazy. He's more predictably frightening. Like he's malevolent. Um, Trump is Trump is like Trump is like an insane clown that pops out of the forest at you at random. Pence is like a serial killer that has the shit planned out and has a shed ready for you in the woods. <laughs> uh, I love that. Now, here's. After the election, there was a lot of articles, especially the New York Times did a series about how the Rust Belt has been ignored and that those people were voting. They didn't have – they couldn't vote for luxury things. Like, they just needed jobs. Have you been Have you been to those areas at all and talked with those people? I live in one. I live in the woods in Ohio. <laughs> <laughs> I, I actually wrote a piece for The Guardian right before the election that said, look, you, you have to understand what it looks like from out here. All right. Y'all are mocking economic insecurity and that's fucking cute and everything. But like, I live right over the river from West Virginia. And a few years ago, Walmart came to the county I live in now and said, we want to put a Walmart in your town. They said, fuck you. Absolutely not. We like our downtown. So Walmart then went directly, literally across the river. Like if you drive over the bridge and you didn't stop, you would drive into the Walmart. So they still pull all of the, like the, the downtown is now hollowed out. Um, everybody goes over the river to Walmart and all of that tax revenue goes to that county in West Virginia. So, so the, the way I explained it is when I think of economic insecurity, you know, a lot of people think of angry white dudes pissed off that like women or black people might be getting jobs or something. But I think of an entire town voting to save itself and a corporation going, ha, 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 let me troll you. And, and then there you go. And there's all those jobs gone and there's all that gone. And then when we go to the cities or we go to the coast and we say, look, you, coal is ending. Um, fracking is destroying our, our recreational uh, jobs, which is a, a big part of our economy. This and this and this are happening. The response we get is, well, why didn't you learn to code? I'm like, dude, I just got off dial-up last January. <laughs> what do you mean learn to code? Like, dial-up dial was all I had access to. And I'm two hours from Columbus, Ohio. I'm, how come, because I feel like these people in these areas have been lied to, because Trump and people are, he's telling them coal's going to come back when it's not going to come back. Those jobs are not going to come back. And I feel like somebody needs to say, hey, we have to reapproach everything and start programs that 
train these people. It would have been a great opportunity for green energy to jobs. And I feel like that's all been fucked. Fucked. Yeah. No, like I said, if the Democrats could find the fucking spine with a 747 to light their way. I mean, look, when when people voted Trump thinking he was going to bring back jobs, it was a long shot. That's what I mean about the status quo. They knew Hillary wasn't going to do anything for them. They hoped Trump might. Because he might get a factory. Their town might be the one to win the lottery. And that's what that vote was. If it was an economic vote from the people I've talked to, it was a gamble. of like, well, shit, maybe my area will be the one we get a plant in. Maybe he'll, you know, change the tax laws for all of these businesses. They stop offshoring. I hear that a lot. Because right now, we actually give businesses a tax break. We incentivize them to move overseas. We pay for their move. And if they stay in the country, they have to keep paying taxes. And so people went, okay, well, he wants to deregulate and change the tax structure. Maybe that will bring jobs back. And the, the issues like that are things that rural people, folks that live in small towns that like have manufacturing economies being hollowed out, we know how those tax bases work. We know how those corporate taxes work because it's been explained to us as we've lost our jobs over and over and over again. Like people in cities, I don't think they understand that, that when we talk about economic insecurity and bringing jobs back, it's way more than we think we're going to return to a magic time in which coal is the thing that powers America. It's, you know, the, the styrofoam bowl-making plant, Genpak, um, in, in my old hometown that came to town, built a plant um, on, on the expectation of not paying any taxes to the county, the city, or the state for five years was their deal if they brought X number of jobs. <coughs> so they did. And then as, on, on four years and 364 days, they told all of the workers the factory is shut as of tomorrow. That, that's it? They gave him one day notice? And no severance. That's devastating. And it happens all over. And people, when we talk about, like, those of us in flyover, we're like, look, there is real pain out here. People go, stop doing so much heroin. Okay, well, sweetheart, nobody starts on heroin when things are great. Right? <laughs> like, nobody in their right mind, like, everything's great. You know what I think I'm going to do? Get me a bag. That's not how this goes. You don't wind up with the kind of devastation that we've been seeing in Appalachia, that we've been seeing in the West, that we've been seeing in the Plains States. That doesn't happen if the misery isn't there first. So the question is, why is there misery? And why is it that every time somebody tries to explain the misery, we hear, you're just a bunch of backwards-ass, uneducated, racist bigots? See, this is something that's... in. in uh, and I'm asking, and I think this is entering into race territory, so I know that that can be touchy, <laughs> especially when you're... Well, listen, two white people talking about race. <laughs> this is going to go really well for us. Everybody, it's, it's going to be great. Let's, In fact, let's promo whatever this is, like start with this segment. White people discuss race. That's why I was. That's why I was trying to pat it up front because I'm a fucking white straight guy. But do you know? I think it's important that white people do have an internal conversation, though, because like, let's be honest, the fucking Nazis showed up, yo. So like, white people not talking about race clearly isn't going too well. 
Right. Maybe we need to start talking about it a little bit more. Well, because I've lived in major cities my entire life, and then I, and I have all the compassion in the world for the people in the Rust Belt who have lost their jobs and who are on the verge of being homeless. I've fucking been there, and I was almost there last this summer, this past summer. I was like had a few hundred dollars to my name and I needed, I was in a dire, dire emergency situation. So I fully have compassion for that. But I hear all the, it like, but post the election, everyone's like, oh, the people in the Rust Belt and it's this. And I'm like, what about the inner cities? They have been destitute and fucked and forgotten equally as much. But when it becomes this large group of white people, everyone's like, oh my God, we didn't listen to them. I'm like, we haven't been listening to black people in the cities for over a hundred years. Do you feel that is correct? Yeah. No, it's absolutely correct. And like, look, racism is real and so is white supremacy. Like, let's let's be honest with that. But the, the reason that we're talking about what the hell happened to the middle of the country I don't think it's necessarily so much that it's white people, although it is for a lot of folks. Like a lot of these writers, and and this this is another really interesting thing. The county that I live in is one of the most visited in all of Ohio by Fort Lake out-of-state journalists. Like they actually have a guy who is assigned to babysit journalists when they come on their poverty tours. Um, because he knows all of the stats and the data, like at Athens, at Ohio University. Um, and a lot of folks come out here going, what's wrong with the racist white people? So there's a lot of classism in there, too, where we're talking about you're not our kind of white people. Like, white people elected Donald Trump, right? But we're not the white people that elected Donald Trump. Let's go take a look at the ones who did. And, and that story is more interesting than, hey, let's take a look at what we've been doing in our own cities to our own neighbors. It's a really good way for folks to duck responsibility because, you know, what, I don't have anything to do with because I live in like rural ass woods of Ohio. What happens in New York City? I don't control gentrification in New York City. I don't I don't add to it. I have nothing to do with population patterns in L.A. and how the city divides its money up or how the county divides its money up. But the people who do would much rather talk about the three fucking idiots flying the stars and bars out in the goddamn woods than they would talk about their own policies and, and look in a mirror of like, okay, well, what does white supremacy actually look like? Like my, my actual theory is that we should keep the racists out in the country because there aren't any black people for them to bother. Like, go live in the woods. Go live in the woods. You're an asshole. Never come into society. That's what the woods are for. Yeah. I mean, that's, I think part of the problem, too, is they never... Uh, my brother is a racist, and when I was a kid, he would scream n-word and i'm like you don't know any except for the jeffersons on television like who are you angry like and they're awesome who are you angry at like i couldn't and i i just feel like part of that was he lived in this world where he didn't interact with anybody um you know i think there's a lot of folk um who try to be shocking without understanding what kind of pain they cause with it 
which is why you tend to find a lot of younger people affiliating with white supremacist movements that kind of grow out of it and then never talk about it again by the time they're 25. Because, like, Jesus, I was drunk and dumb. Let's never discuss this again. <laughs> and It's like a go- having a goth phase. Yeah, it's basically like, yeah, I was an ICP fan for, like, until I was about 27, but we destroyed all the pictures. Um the thing, the thing that's interesting, because like, I, I actually was trying to have a conversation about this on Twitter, and what's really interesting to me is how uncomfortable people are with white people confronting their own racism. Because, like, look, I was raised to be a white supremacist, explicitly. I was sent to a segregationist white Christian academy in elementary school, and then my parents moved me to the, you know, ridiculously diverse state of Utah, where, you know, they sent me to a, a school that uh, didn't have anybody. I mean, I think we had like three Native kids and a couple of Hispanic kids um, in, in the public high school. But we were part of a religion that didn't believe black people were equal to white people until 1978, when God very, very handily came down and said, just in time for you guys not to lose your tax exempt status for civil rights violations, black people are okay with me. And that's how I was raised. So when I talk about race and, like, how to raise my kids as an anti-racist now later in my life, I don't have a model for that. Like, I don't know how to raise anti-racist kids because I was raised to be a racist. And I'm trying to have this conversation of, like, you guys, my parents are fucking lost causes, all right? You can't do nothing with them. Me, I'm problematic, but I'm trying my kids, man, we might be able to raise them to know better. And even to have that conversation made people so uncomfortable because to say I was raised a white supremacist, I am a white supremacist, I reject white supremacy, but I am a white person in America, which confers certain benefits on me. And I'm not dedicating every fucking second of my life to knocking that shit down. Sometimes I watch cartoons and drink wine. Like, I'm a selfish-ass person. <laughs> like, and, and I understand my own responsibility in that. But I want my kids to be better. And I think that for somebody to even admit that is so uncomfortable for people that we don't engage that conversation of like, okay, well, what actually is white supremacy and how engaged are we all in it? Because then you might have to admit to yourself that like, yeah, you do have internal biases that were handed down to you by this entire goddamn society. We all live in just like the rest of us. And that's the problem. Yeah. The, there's a lot of, I get why people get on edge because there's a lot of dialogue on, in social media that I notice, and I'm a very to the left, open-minded person, or at least I think I am. I could be wrong, <laughs> but I would see friends of mine post things like "white people this, white people that," and I'm like, "That's I know you're speaking to the rich white guy, but that is not." It's, it causes, like, divide, and I could see people taking offense to because I'm like, hey, I'm a white guy, and I don't think the way you're speaking about in these terms. And it causes, like, uh, the, the dialogue is fucked, and we need to change that. I think that's what they mean when they say white fragility, though. Like, look, if I make a joke about men, and the first thing a dude says is, well, I don't do that, I laugh my balls off. Like, if you don't do that, I wasn't talking about you. Oh, yeah. I agree with you. Like, I, 
and it's the same thing. And 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 further, I mean, I I think I would say that when we're talking in in that way, a good portion of the time, no dialogue is meant. Like if you start a sentence with "dear white people" instead of "some white people," you're not trying to dialogue; you're opining. Yeah, I mean, many people get who they're speaking of, but I'm like, there is an element that 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 shoves people out, and they become defensive, and that is that is unhealthy. Yeah, I think that's true. Um, I. Largely, I think people need to get the hell over themselves because <laughs> what I see—it's <laughs> true. No, I you're mean, right. But how many times have you seen it where somebody will say, "Like people do this," and then people, instead of going, "Huh, do I do that? Would I be included in that?" Their automatic knee jerk is, "Fuck you! I don't do that." You know, I'm not. I'm not that. You can't look at me as that. I don't want to be associated with that. And it's a kind of like just an absolute rejection of responsibility that I find really childish. Like if, if somebody goes, hey, this thing has happened to me at the hands of this like general group that we all acknowledge has power, whether it be men or straight people or white people or whatever the, the dominant, you know, cultural group is. And somebody goes, the dominant cultural group does this. And everybody in the dominant cultural group, instead of looking at that, goes, well, not me. Then who the fuck is there to look at it? Which is actually why I come out of my way to say, like, yeah, I'm a white supremacist. Like, I, I, don't, I, I don't ascribe to it. I am not an, like, I'm not actively with those goals. But I understand what socialization has done to my brain. And I understand that I'm deprogramming. And I understand that I am not there yet. And so to say I'm somewhere on this path is not harmful to me because the point isn't have you hit the end of the path yet, it's are you on it at all. And if, if you're busy trying to make sure that everybody doesn't think that you're at all near the path, then you're not fucking traveling it. Yeah, it seems like a lot of intelligent people I know who I would say in other ways, most ways are critical thinkers and stuff, have become very reactionary. And it's been hard because I think there was a period after the election where people felt threatened, so they, I think they went to base sort of thinking of like, fuck you, and we'll, like, we'll fight everybody. <laughs> and it's like, we can't, we got to snap out of that shit because it's, the divide is widening. I'm sorry, go ahead. It, it- no, no, you're, I'm, I'm just backing up. It absolutely is. And the trouble is that people are thinking, but not critically. So fuck you. I'm going to be over here. Um, isn't a critique. <laughs> like it, it's not going to help anything and it's not critical thinking. It's, it's virtue signaling. So then people go, well, you're not being particularly fair and you're not thinking critically about this. And it really comes down to, like, am I a victim? And, and there's a difference between a victim mentality and being victimized by something. I have been victimized by many things in my life. I accept that I was victimized by them. But I also don't think I've got the rawest fucking deal on the planet and everybody else should kiss my feet for how bad my life's been. And I don't think I'm better than anybody else. And I don't feel like people are out to persecute me when they think, like, hey, maybe you're not perfect. 
that's not persecution. That's an observation of plain fact. I'm like a barely functional alcoholic that can't get through an entire sentence without swearing. Like, that's why we like each other. We're functioning alcoholics. I'm just, if you are not a barely functional alcoholic this many weeks into Trump, there is something fucking wrong with you. Oh, God. I was on the hugest bender after this whole thing went down. And I have a baby. Oh, my God. I got super, yeah, dude, I got super drunk and admitted to the world I was a sex worker at, like, midnight. Oh, well, I didn't do that, but I've never been a sex worker. <laughs> but I should admit it just somebody, for fun. Somebody had something to say. Somebody was wrong on the Internet, and I was very drunk. <laughs> so... <laughs> But, I mean, that's fine. You're a sex worker. That's good. I mean, I've talked about it before. I just never quite put it in those terms because when you say sex worker, people think prostitute. Yeah. And, like, I actually was never a prostitute, but I definitely worked in the industry. And I definitely, you know, had got money from dudes for having spare adipose tissue in places. <laughs> and, uh... Like, I worked in the industry, so, like, I kind of just trolled everybody and let them assume what I was talking about, and the responses were actually fantastic, man. Like, apparently I hate kids, and I'm pro-trafficking, and, like, some dude tried to talk me down on tit shots. He's like, I'll give you five bucks. Dude, dude. Five, five whole dollars? Yeah. I was <laughs> like, and he was earnest. Like, he DM'd me this. <laughs> he was like, hey can I give you this amount of money? And you'll send me like, no, no, you can't, dude. Is it flattering okay. at the slightest bit that some guy's offering $5 or is it just totally insulting? Well, no, actually it was, it was, it was funny. I mean, you can't help but just laugh at that. What was interesting actually was I probably got 400 DMs from dudes who had that one time patronized a sex worker or been to a strip club or, you know, done whatever in the industry. And like, because I'm an accessible person on Twitter and because I, I interact with folk a lot, they feel like we're, you know, I'm a safe space to ask questions to. So it was just like tons of dudes going like, so do you ever judge us when we're naked? Like, like, all of the questions anybody ever wanted to ask. It was actually hugely amusing. And really, in, in really, really a lot of insight, I think, too, because so many men felt guilty and kind of came to me for absolution of, like, so did you feel victimized? Were you making an active choice? Like, I always worried. So. That's interesting. You became, like, a, a confession booth if that's what they call it in the Catholic Church. <laughs> I am basically a confessional for everything anybody has ever committed, dude. You know that. Like, I'm taking them all off. I started off with, like, you're not lazy if you're poor. And then it was all the poor people in America. And then it was whatever. Oh, by the way, I drink a lot. And then all the alcoholics show up. And, hey, I use drugs sometimes. And all the junkies are in my mentions. Like, I'm just going through all of the sins at once. I think you could spin this into a cult. That's all I'm saying. Jesus, I can't think of a way. Like, the only worst thing than being a cult leader would be being a politician. Yeah. You think about all the fun sex you can have, but then other than that, it's probably a nightmare. And that probably gets to be nightmarish, too. No, I feel like I, feel like I could probably, like, I, I could go for groupies. I don't want to, like, be, like, a cult leader. I could go for groupies. I don't know how many poverty groupies there are and if I would want to, like, engage in that. Oh, I love that concept, poverty groupies. You probably like, have them. I, I, 
I definitely do have a few. <laughs> I definitely do have a few. Um, I'm a little uncomfortable with the concepts, but I, I mean, I was uncomfortable when people started tattooing my fucking face on their bodies. So, like, what are you gonna do? That's great. Now, getting back to poverty. <laughs> but, yeah, pro tip, never tattoo somebody's face on you and then send them a picture. Like, there's literally no good response to that. That would... Uh, creepy, creepy as fuck. There's no, like, I guess, thank you. I'm glad the artist didn't suck. Face portraits are hard. <laughs> yeah, that's a terrifying concept. I would that would freak me out or I anything if anybody put anything of me on their body except for my wife she has my name on her my signature on her arm which is kind of creepy it's like I signed a contract or something I did <laughs> yeah, anyway. you did you, you literally literally did um here's the poverty yeah what's up <laughs> uh here's my thing is a lot of working class people are not dumb and they know bullshit when they see it. And and I'm you are in these worlds of rural people who I it's a lot of straight talk. Don't they look at Donald Trump and be like, this guy's totally fucking full of shit? Do they not? Oh yeah. They, oh absolutely. It's all goes. Ain't nobody thinks he wasn't lying. Everybody knew he was lying. Here's the thing, though, folks that are disconnected, um, and and that's increasingly a rural culture because. You, you have two kinds of economies out here. It's either kind of agricultural and ranching or it's manufacturing and trade. And both of those things have been being hollowed out for years and years and years. So you've got these politicians telling us everything is great because New York is doing better. And millions and millions and millions of people live in New York, right? Like something like 70% of the population lives on in a coastal city. So like it is better for all Americans. But as far as we're concerned, y'all are lying to us. Like, we know, we know better. We see it. Um, and so then you get a guy up there. He goes, no, 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 I got this. You want to lie? I have the biggest dick in the world. And he said it during the first debate. No, 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 there's no problem. There's no, I mean, like, this is a dude who says not what voters are thinking, which is how people usually articulate it. He says, well, he says what everybody's thinking. And people go, why are you thinking that? What people mean to say is he says what Ted Cruz is thinking and what Paul Ryan is thinking and what Mitch McConnell is thinking. Because these ICE raids, they're not new. The only difference is he said Mexicans are rapists, which makes sense to a lot of folk out in the country because then why the hell else are we rounding them up? Like, these people have been selling division and racism, but they've been doing it in these utterly polite terms. And so you get a guy who is plain spoken, and that's why folk in the country kind of identified with him. He just goes out and says the damn thing, doesn't he? I mean, that we understand. That's I've said that all along. I've, I was like, when people were like, he's not of the Republican Party, I was like, yes, he is. And he's louder than any of them. But he is exactly he's what the party is. He's of the Republican Party. He, he, go ahead. No, just he, he's the id of the Republican Party. Oh, absolutely. He, he is their base lizard brain. He is absolutely a Republican with everything he said and everything he's doing. What's shocking and horrifying to people is he's actually articulating it. And in polite society, we don't say Mexicans are rapists. We say we're worried about the security on our borders. Yeah. 
have, have you noticed this? This is something that came up this week, is that every weekend is when a shit fire for his administration happens. And I'm like, is this a conscious effort on their behalf? Because it's like always something. It's, yeah. If I can be a little racist, um, Jared and Ivanka are Orthodox Jews. Starting on sundown Friday, the two moderating influences on the White House are unavailable for 24 hours, which means that the rest of them can do whatever the hell they want. Do you think that's my theory? That's interesting. That you think those two have that much influence on him? Um, I think that during the campaign, we definitely saw the difference in his behavior when Ivanka was on the trail with him and when she wasn't. Um, and we know that a lot of the decisions run through Kushner um, before they get put out. So I, I, I don't know enough about this White House to tell you precisely. Um, I do know that historically you dump things on a Friday because nobody pays attention over the weekend. But in this case also, I think it's literally that there's like nobody telling him he can't do something. Yeah, it just it's. I don't actually know if that's if that's racist or if that's like ethnicist or if that's just an observation of the worship habits of Orthodox people in a particular religion. I think it's an observation. It didn't seem very bigoted to me at all. Well, it's not. I mean, Orthodox Jews <laughs> don't work from sundown Friday to sundown Saturday. Like, I, I didn't start that. It's not like a rumor. Uh, Pretty observable fact. That's yeah. That's a fact. But somebody out there is going to turn it into a bigoted statement because that just seems to be the world we live in. Listen, if I was too careful about what other people might take out of context in this environment, I would never say anything, which is why I mostly drink before I say anything because then I don't think about it. <laughs> do, you, do you feel any hope within all of this? Because currently it seems pretty fucking bad. And it only seems to be getting worse. And uh, and I do think you're right. What you said earlier is people are just waiting for the grown-ups to show up and save us, which I don't think is going to happen. I think mom and dad are gone, and we got to cook dinner ourselves, so to speak. Do you? No, dude. I'm 34 years old. We are the grown-ups. It's horrible. <laughs> it's the worst thing. But like, keep in mind the the Constitution was written by a bunch of drunk 30 and 40 something. Yeah. I mean, they were wasted. They were wasted constantly, and they were our age. So if a bunch of drunken revolutionaries can set up a system that did manage to last for a couple hundred years, I feel like we can probably pull it out. We may have to kill off the baby boomers. Uh, yeah, the baby boomers. Somebody pointed out to me something very interesting. Clinton, Trump, and W were all born in the same year and graduated college the same year, and they have potentially done a great deal of damage to our country in a very short period of time. And I was like, that's Listen, a these people took a stranglehold and are just refusing to let it go. And it, it's like that episode of South Park where Randy's dad isn't allowed to drive anymore. And uh, like, they basically let the entire town go to hell and the AARP like parachutes in and there's a legit war. Also, they can avoid telling dad that it's time for you to stop driving. <laughs> That is, that's an interesting point. Do you think, because it does feel like there is a, a paranoia and it's like the last stranglehold this group can get and maybe they're trying to see how much they can fuck up before it all shifts again. Does that seem accurate to you? Because it seems like there's going to be a huge reaction to this. 
culturally after I think people yeah, are... I, go ahead. I mean, I, I, I think they legitimately just there. They have the egos of, of, you know, 12 year old children. It, it's, it, you can't tell them that they're not perfect. You can't tell them that they're not awesome. And you know that because they're projecting on the millennials and, and I'm the oldest millennial. I was born in 1982. Um, so like I'm at the very first part of that. And, and what do they say about people in my generation? They're entitled, they're spoiled, they're lazy, they want something for nothing, you know, all of these things. And I'm looking at them going like, so are you looking in a mirror when you're reciting all this or are you just having a fever dream? Because from my point of view, I've been working my ass off. My bosses expect me to work overtime for free. Y'all think I should just vote for you with no apparent reason given. Like, talk about free stuff. Like, you cut college funding and expanded Social Security just as you were out of college and getting into Social Security. And now I'm screwed. So who's the lazy entitled one? Like, I, I just think that it, when people have been used to power for so long, it becomes impossible for them to give it up without, the, without it completely screwing their, like, self-image. I don't know. I'm not a baby boomer. I'm just looking at the old people going, what the fuck, dude? You've literally destroyed the world. Stop it. Yeah, I agree. I look, uh, my mother's husband, they uh, voted Trump, and I'm just like, he has a pension. He's on Medicare. He gets Social Security, and he voted for a guy who doesn't, or a party that is going to take all of that away. And I'm like, you're not leaving the world a better place. And it's hard not to be angry about that because it's like, that affects me. That definitely affects my daughter. And I'm kind of like, hey, man, you're just taking resources at this time. If you're not offering anything, then let's pack up and leave. <laughs> That's a nice way of saying that. Oh, dude, I'm irate. I, I will not. I, I do not forgive these people. They tried to sell a 69-year-old as the youth candidate and then got mad at us when we didn't believe them. Like, these people are senile. These people have lost the damn thread. And, I mean, I'm sure some of them are nice people which is the thing we can now say because, hey, precedent. Um, but, you know, they, these people have, have systematically left us with nothing. They got us to fascism, and they're still like, well, we think we should just keep on this for a little while. Nancy Pelosi, Nancy fucking Pelosi comes out after the election and says, this election is a clear sign by the American people that they don't want us to change a thing. Dude, are you high or like, have you just, how, how do you come to that? How do you come to that? The Democratic Party controls a minority of state houses, a minority of state senates, a minority of governorships. Most of the GOP or the GOP holds a bunch of places where they hold control of both chambers in the state level. Plus, they control the legislative. Plus, they control the executive. Plus, they've got media hegemony in the entire damn middle of the country. Plus, they're winning the funding wars. And you're trying to tell me everybody wants you to keep on doing the exact same damn thing you've been doing this whole time. Let me tell you what. I have children. Shut the fuck up and get out of my way, man. I got a country to run. <laughs> well, I couldn't find a better place to end than that. That was great. Um, what do you? What would you like to plug for so people can follow you on the Twitter and read your read your great works and your? Yeah, the the Twitter is at Killer Martinis. The Facebook, where I sometimes remember to post things, is at Killer Martinis Blog. Um, and 
that's basically it. The the work I've got coming out this year is uh, Elle Magazine is that series I was talking about. The first issue, or the first uh, the first installment is going to be in the May issue. Um, and then you know, other than that, I freelance. Sometimes I remember to tell people I wrote a thing too. Yeah, but Twitter's where I live. And your book, your book, hand to mouth. Living in Bootstrap. I did. I did. I wrote a book. I did a (laughs) hand to mouth living in Bootstrap. I'm terrible at self promotion, dude. Like, it was like three years ago. I already forgot I did it. Uh, It's a a phenomenal book, and uh, I I tell everybody to read it, and it will inspire and make you angry at the same time. Ah, you're a love. (laughs) Thank you, Linda. Yeah, no worries. Thank you for listening to the show. Remember to support live podcasting, especially feralaudio.com. Follow me on Twitter. Go to my website, themattdwyer.com. Follow my social media stuff. And uh, please tell your friends about the show. Power to the people. National Security Agency to assess and flag citizens of the country who may present a threat to its security. The NSA has clearance to wiretap by any means necessary. Tapped. Incidental recordings of private conversations from the files of the NSA. Now on feralaudio.com.